Welcome to Heirloom Radio, a different kind of oldies program that celebrates the tremendous talent of the thousands of people who provided news and entertainment to listeners through the only form of immediate mass media available in their homes during the American Golden Age of Radio, roughly from 1930 through the 1940s. This podcast originates from the seacoast of New Hampshire, and I am your host, John Lovering, thanking you for listening. Now let's turn back the clock and introduce the rebroadcast of this track's featured program. Radio City Playhouse was a live half-hour anthology series that aired on NBC Radio from July 3rd, 1948 to January 1st, 1950. It was directed by Henry W. Junkin, with music by Dr. Roy Shield, and announces Bob Warren and Fred Collins. The series presented original radio dramas regardless of the fame of the author, so long as they were considered good. Many of the broadcasts have survived, and Heirloom Radio is about to rebroadcast one of the survivors. Murder is a Matter of Opinion is the title of this program that was aired on Radio City Playhouse on May 23, 1949. Can an innocent man be convicted of murder and executed? The story has a surprise ending, and two brothers who were studying law together in college disagreed violently on the question of capital punishment. One believes that murder is only a matter of opinion and that it is quite possible for an innocent man to be sentenced to death, whereas the other brother believes that the law is designed to protect the innocent. They decide to play a deadly game to see which one of them is right. Is murder a matter of opinion? See if this story can convince you one way or the other. Thank you for listening. The National Broadcasting Company presents Radio City Playhouse, Attraction 39. Gentlemen, here's the director of Radio City Playhouse, Harry W. Junkin. Thank you, Bob. Friends, before we begin our show, Radio City Playhouse, on behalf of NBC and station WFAA Dallas, extends hearty congratulations to the Dallas Morning News on the formal dedication of its new building and its 108th birthday. Good luck and continued success to the Dallas Morning News. And now a word about Mr. Bill Lipton, our star on tonight's show. Although he is only 22, he has had 12 years' experience in radio. On the Playhouse, he has appeared in such varied roles as a French porter, a drunken husband, and on our Christmas broadcast as one of the three wise men. He is one of the most versatile actors we know, and in spite of taking three years out to serve in the Navy, he will receive his master's degree from Columbia University in June. All this from a young man of 22 compels our respect and admiration. Here is Bill Lipton playing Frank Jackson in Murder is a Matter of Opinion, Attraction 39, on Radio City Playhouse. I'm telling you this story from prison. 
I have 11 more days before they electrocute me for... for murdering my brother. I didn't kill him. As God is my solemn judge, I did not kill my brother. I'll, I'll tell you everything I know, and perhaps you can figure out why I'm here. I can't. I can't believe it. I've been over and over and over the story. Every word of it is true, and nobody believes me. Nobody. I'm 22. I was going to be a lawyer. My dad thought I was just about the... Well, he was pretty proud. Now even Dad thinks I'm guilty. Even Dad. And I'm not. I'd like you to understand me. I, I was the... Well, I, I talked fast and too much, and I guess maybe I was a smart aleck. Well, that's not so terrible, is it? I'm only 22, and, and... Well, I'm not a smart aleck anymore, if that's any consolation, anybody. Brian, my brother, was quieter. He was a year younger than I, and he didn't talk nearly as much or as fast or as often. That's why he never won an argument with me in his life. And believe me, we had plenty but they were in fights. They were, well, two brothers. We razzed each other, but it was all fun. Underneath, we, we, well, we were brothers. In our first year of law school, we were real eager and talked pretty big about legal points. But Brian never won an argument. Never. So you're wrong. It says so right here. Where? All bills for raising revenue originate in the House of Representatives. Can't you read? Well, I, I thought they could originate in either house if it was just a question of... Well, you're wrong, so pay up. I still don't think that... Look, they... Brian, who's right? You or the Encyclopedia of Federal Law? Well, I, I guess... You the... owe me half a buck. Come on, cough up. Well, okay, I guess... Look, you admit you're wrong, don't you? Yes, I admit it. Okay, give me 50 cents. Trent University Law School has uh, pretty high standards. If you want to stay, you better smarten up. In our second year, we began to disagree violently about capital punishment and murder. Brian was obsessed with the idea that all kinds of innocent people had been executed for murders they didn't commit. Every time he read about some killing in the paper, he'd try to prove to me that the condemned person wasn't guilty at all. The night he got his big idea, we were sitting on a bench way down at one end of the campus. There was nobody around. It was about ten o'clock. And Brian was very excited. Frank, I still say that the man in the Jensen case could have been innocent. I don't believe that a man who only weighs 130 pounds could have shoved a man the size of Jensen out of a hotel window. Well, he carried out the sentence, so it doesn't matter what you say. How do you think you'd feel if you'd been in his shoes? <laughs> Cold, stiff, and dead. Do you mean to sit there and say that you don't think it ever happens? There's never been a case of a, an innocent man convicted of a murder he didn't commit? It isn't a question of what I think. You've made the statement that it's possible for an innocent man to be hanged or electrocuted. I say prove it. All right. 
All right, I will. I can, you know. If if you'll help me, I'll I'll prove it. How? Let's stage a a fake murder. What are you talking about? A mock murder case. Look, I'll play the corpse and you play the killer. We'll, we'll stage a killing, a fake killing. I'll let a dozen witnesses actually see you shoot me in cold blood, and then afterwards I'll undertake your defense and prove that you're innocent. If I'd only said no, if I'd only admitted that perhaps it was possible for an innocent man to be hanged or electrocuted, why couldn't I have agreed with him? Why couldn't I let him have his say, and if I disagreed with him, kept my opinion of myself? I don't know. Actually, a suggestion wasn't as strange as it sounds. Each year, the moot court of the law school secretly planned and enacted some sort of crime. The crime was committed on the campus, and no one knew about it except the chairman of the moot court, the victim, and the criminal. The idea was to catch the students by surprise and give them realistic experience in criminal procedure. Brian and I decided we'd stage our own mock crime. Well, that's all it ever was. It was a gag right from start to finish. I don't know where the slip-up was. I don't know who it was that hated Brian so much that... Well, I just don't know where it went wrong. We worked it out very carefully. Brian drew up a week's schedule. We even made a bet of $50, two months' allowance. He was convinced he could win, and even I began to get interested. We had to be sure that nobody had the slightest suspicion it was all a planned affair, so we made the bench down at the end of the campus our private conference room. We met there every night before going to bed, and at last we got all the details worked out. Well, we're just about ready, Frank. I've, I've written down what you're supposed to do. Memorize it and then burn it. We'll... We'll commit the murder next Monday. That gives us a whole week. All right, next Monday. First, we've got to establish a motive. You've got to make everybody on the campus think that you hate me like poison. A week isn't very long. Well, it, it, it's long enough. We'll pull the watch gag in the cafeteria tomorrow. Oh, can you suggest to Tom Benson that he have lunch with you? Well, sure, I guess so. Well, ask him tonight. You be in the cafeteria at 12.30. I'll come in about a quarter to one. I'll be sure that somebody sees me put my watch on the bed tomorrow, and you steal it right after breakfast. Okay? Right after breakfast. You, uh, you know your lines? <laughs> we rehearsed them often enough. You sure you don't mind the sock in the jaw part? Oh, just don't get too enthusiastic, that's all. Well, it's difficult to fake if I don't hit you reasonably hard. Oh, I guess I can stand it for once. You'll hit me on the word contemptible. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I tell you, Brian, you've lost your 50 bucks right now. Want to make it a 100? Four months allowance, are you crazy? I'm going to win this bet, Frank. You wait and see. Well, come on, it's getting late. You go back first. I'll see you in the cafeteria tomorrow at a quarter to one. What's the matter with you, Frank? You've hardly said a word all through lunch. It's Brian, Tom. Is something the matter? I've just discovered that my kid brother's a heel. He's also a liar. Oh, now, look, Frank, that's no way to talk about Brian. He's a cheap, sneaky little punk, and he makes me sick. He's, he's just come in for it. It's a public cafeteria. Uh, 
suppose you've got your reasons, but it doesn't seem like a very nice way for two brothers to act. Tom, I could tell you stories about that kid that would make your hair curl. Stop it. He's coming over here. Oh, why can't he eat by himself? He knows how I feel. He's always trying to force in on people. Hey, oh, Frank, here he comes. Frank. Frank, I'd like a couple of words with you. Oh, look, fellas, i got to get Sit going. Sit still, Tom. Finish your coffee. I'd like you to get a load of what my father expects Trent to make into a lawyer. Where's my watch, Frank? What are you talking about? My watch. I left it on the bed this morning while I went to shower. It's gone. So what? I want it back. I haven't got it. I saw you come out of the dormitory on my way back from showers. We're the only men in the dorm who don't have a 9 o'clock lecture this morning. When I went back into the dorm, there was nobody else there and the watch was gone. Now I want it back. Are you accusing me of stealing your watch? Yes, and I want it back. Well, look, boys, I don't think there's... Don't go, Tom. Just get a load of Junior here. So I'm a thief, am I? Frank, I want my watch back. Oh, drop dead, you dumb little jerk. If you weren't so scrawny, I'd knock your face in. You stole my watch. Now, look, Frank. Brian, don't be crazy. Shut up, Tom. Where's the watch, Frank? Are you going to give it to me quietly, or do I have to take it? Look, kid, you're stinking up the cafeteria. Buzz off. Go on, creep. My own brother, a dirty, cheap, can... Oh, we were pretty convincing. Brian knocked me down. Dishes were broken. Everybody in the cafeteria stood rooted to the spot. In an hour, it was all over the campus. Everybody knew that the Jackson brothers were fighting. Everybody believed it. Neither Brian nor I made a single slip. The next night, we had a row in the dormitory. On Wednesday, I threw a milkshake at Brian in the milk bar. Thursday, we got hauled up before the dean and told that if we couldn't behave like gentlemen, we'd better leave. Friday, we had a row at basketball practice. Saturday night at the third year prom, we had a fistfight in the middle of the floor over Brian's girl. Elaine cried and went home alone. Oh, it was a build-up. A real grade-A build-up. And all of it was planned. All of it. I can't understand why people won't believe it was a gag. I... Well, anyway, on a Sunday night preceding the murder, we had a last conference on our bench. It was a perfect setup. Perfect. Oh, it's perfect, Frank. Perfect. Tomorrow we'll pull the murder. Oh, oh, I, I picked up a gun today. Here. Good night, Brian. Where'd you get that thing? I stole it from the sports office. It won't be needed until track practice on Wednesday. Don't worry, I'll put it back. It's loaded with blanks. Are you sure you can put it back without being caught? Sure. Now, is everything set for tomorrow? Uh, uh, You'll be in the bookstore at 12.15, right? Right. In the history section near the door. I'll come in about one. I'll yell out your name. You turn around and I fire twice. That's right. Uh, Incidentally, I'm filling a little paper cup with ketchup and putting it in my shirt pocket. When you fire, I'll clutch my hands to my chest... Squeeze the ketchup and and fall. It'll mess up a perfectly good shirt. Oh, it'll wash out. I'll I'll, I'll play dead for ten minutes and just lie there. And then you rush back to the dorm and wait for me. Then we'll have lunch and go over together and report the crime to the dean. Okay. Now, one last check. You're sure you haven't given this away to anybody? Oh, positive. And that slip of paper that I wrote out instructions on? Burn it. You think I'm crazy? If you could produce that paper, you could prove all this was a gag. Well, I... Yes, we've thought of everything. I, um, I bet you're going to pull some phony self-defense gag. No? An insanity plea? Nope. You'll shoot me in the bookstore tomorrow. It'll be straight, deliberate, premeditated killing. And I'll get you off. It's a terrific stunt. You can do it. 
How much is this dictionary, miss? Four eighty-five. Okay, I'll take it. Uh, can I charge it, please? Certainly. Uh, what is the name, please? Jackson. Brian Jackson. Brian. 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 What? Frank. Frank, what's the matter? I told you I wouldn't take any more, didn't I? Well, I meant it. Frank. Frank, put down that gun. I've taken all I'm going to take. This is where you get it. Oh. <laughs> Then everything exploded in my brain. Right up until I fired the shots, I, I, I'd been enjoying myself. But there was something about... about the way Brian clutched at his stomach instead of his chest. He fell. And there was blood on his lips. Real blood. Brian's blood. From there on, everything was a nightmare. Brian was dead before they could get him to the hospital. I'm not quite clear on what happened after that because I I, I, I was stunned. My own brother. Brian. My brother. In some fantastic, unimaginable way, I... I shot him. They phoned the police, of course, and... I managed to get a few words with the dean before they came to pick me up. I don't think you'd better tell me all this. The police are the ones... Dean Harrison, you've got to believe me. You've got to. We planned the whole thing. Brian had, had always believed that the... Well, well, you see, we... Look, Dean Harrison, I, I can't talk right, but... Frank, but, there's no use. But kidding. this was a stunt. A mock murder. Brian and I planned it ourselves. The fights, the build-up was all a stunt. Brian believed that I could kill him. I, I mean, appear to kill him. And, and that he could defend me and... Oh, Dean, those bullets were blanks. I mean, they... Brian got the gun himself from the sports office. They were supposed to be blank cartridges. Frank, I... you better not talk anymore. I, I don't know what to say. I, I've been at Trent for 12 years. There's never been a tragedy like this. I, I'm very upset. I've always liked you, Frank, but this is out of but my Dean hands. But, Dean Harrison, surely you don't think that I, I, I really... I telephoned your father. He's taking a plane from New York tonight. I'm afraid from here on it's up to the police. They'll be here any minute. I can't recall what happened in the next two days. My father arrived. I was booked. They put me in a cell. Dad was rushing around about bail and trying to get Peter Cheney to come from New York to defend me. Dad looked haggard and older than I'd ever seen him look. He came every afternoon to see me. There you are, Mr. Jackson. Uh, thank you, God. Hello, Dad. Hello, Frank. Half an hour, Mr. Jackson. That's all you can have. All right. Is... Is it over? Yes. <laughs> Was it... a nice funeral... Frankie. Oh, Frankie. Frankie. Did you... 
Did you get Peter Cheney? Yes, yes, I talked to him on the telephone for an hour this morning. He said he'd take the case. What else did he say? He says that we've got to find out who switched those bullets. But I tell you, I don't know. Frank, think hard. Did Brian have any enemies? Was there anybody on the campus that... How did Elaine feel about him? I don't know. She she certainly wouldn't want to kill him. Cheney says if we can't find out who changed the bullets, we'd better plead temporary insanity. I won't. I won't plead insanity. I think you may have to. But I didn't kill him, Dad. I won't plead insanity. I think it's such damning evidence. No jury on earth will believe your story. No jury on earth. When I finally came up for trial, my father was a broken man. One son killed, the other convicted of his murder. After the trial started, I'd lie on my bed at night and go over the whole thing word by word. And I'd stop. And I'd pray. I'd say the Lord's Prayer over and over. But my praying didn't seem to make much difference. Witness after witness testified to how Frank and I hated each other. The watch, the fight at the dance. One after the other until I almost began to believe that maybe I had killed him. University. Yes, sir. You're acquainted with the deceased? Yes, sir. Will you tell the jury in your own words what happened on the Friday preceding the murder at the dance which you attended with the deceased? Well, we were dancing and Frank cut in. Um, Brian made some objection and Frank struck him. Then Brian struck back and Frank swore at him. What were the exact words that the defendant used? He said... Damn you, I'll get you for this. Thank you. That's all. Your witness. No question. Now, Mr. Benson, will you tell the court in your own words what happened in the cafeteria on the afternoon of April 5th? Well, Frank was sitting with me, and and Brian came in, and Frank made some crack, and one thing led to another. Mr. Benson, what did the defendant say? Uh, Something about, look at what my father expects Trent to make into a lawyer. He was addressing the deceased? Go on. Well, Brian accused Frank of stealing his watch. Frank denied it, and then Brian hit him. You saw the blow struck? Yes, sir. Thank you, Mr. Benson. Now, I understand that you were in the bookstore and witnessed the killing. Yes, sir. After the defendant fired the shots, what did you do? For a moment, I, I was so stunned, I just stood there. Then I ran after Frank and followed him up to the men's dormitory. What happened when you reached the dormitory? I, I-, I said something about... About how could he have done such a thing? I don't remember my exact words. What did the defendant say? Do you remember his exact words? Yes, sir. If you can't remember yours, how can you remember his? Because because it was such a terrible thing to say. Will you repeat what the defendant said, please? He said, I, I killed the little stinger because he had it coming to him. Thank you. Your witness. No questions. <laughs> Am I to understand that the entire series of quarrels which you had with your brother before the murder occurred were intended as a stunt? Yes. Was the murder a stunt, too? Yes. No, it wasn't a murder. The bullets were blank, I tell you. Why do you keep questioning me like this? Mr. Jackson, it is not my idea that you take the stand. I will thank you to answer questions as they are put. I'm sorry. 
Have you no explanation of why there were real bullets in the gun? No. After your brother gave you the gun, did anyone else have access to it? I don't know. Somebody must have. Did it leave your possession? I... No. I I don't know. I, I left it under my pillow all day Monday. Did you tell anybody this? No. If the gun was loaded with blank cartridges, where are they? I... I don't know. If nobody else knew about the gun, if nobody knew it was under your pillow... Who could have switched the bullets? I don't know. There are a great many things that you don't know, Mr. Jackson. I only know I didn't kill him. I didn't kill him, I tell you! The truth is, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, that Frank Jackson is lying. He is lying desperately in an effort to escape the consequences of his loathsome fratricide. Even if the motive of the murder had not been clearly established. Even if 12 witnesses had not seen him shoot down his brother in cold blood as they testified, Frank Jackson would still stand condemned by the hopeless confusion of his own testimony. Why did he invent the fantastic story he asks you to believe? Because it serves one good purpose. It supplies him with an excuse for his inability to call one single witness in his defense. The only other man who knew about the alleged hoax is death. That is what automatically proves that no one else... But Frank Jackson could have loaded real bullets in a murder gun. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I imagine it's unnecessary for you to leave the box to render the only possible verdict. Guilty of murder in the first degree. Have you reached a verdict? Yes, Your Honor. We, the jury, find the defendant guilty of murder in the first degree as charged. We appealed, of course, but we lost. I've been found guilty by due process of the law I trust. And in 11 more days, I'm going to die in the electric chair. Up until we lost the appeal three days ago, I hadn't given up hope. Now I know that nothing can save me. I also know that I didn't kill Brian. And somehow, somewhere, the man or woman who changed those blank cartridges for real bullets, somehow he or she will pay. I have no emotion left. I can't cry or pray, or do anything but wait. Eleven more days of waiting. Gordon wants you in his office, Jackson. Come on. What's the use? We've been over it so many times, it doesn't make sense anymore. Come on. Let's get going. If the warden wants you, he wants you. a prisoner, Warden. Come in, Jackson. What do you want now? Come in, son. Sit down. Son, a few moments ago, I received a visit from a notary public, a Mr. Bixby. An amazing story. It seems that three days before your brother died, he went to Mr. Bixton and wrote out a statement which he made Mr. Bixton witness without reading. Uh, 
A statement? It was sealed in an envelope in Bixton's presence and kept in his safe. Your brother told Bixton you're going to be tried for a crime. But if you were convicted, Bixton was to bring this letter to me three days after his sentence was passed. He did as he was told. For which your brother paid him $50. Bixton's outside now, dictating his testimony. Now, this is the letter your brother wrote. Here, read it. To whom it may concern. This is an open letter to my brother who will probably need it. Dear Frank, I hope you'll forgive what I did to you. It was I, Brian Jackson, who replaced the blanks in your gun with real bullets. You didn't know it, but Dr. Cordner had given me just three months to live. Heart, he said, and an incurable I chose this way because I didn't want a lingering death. And because I wanted you to know that an innocent man can be convicted of murder and sentenced to death. This letter will bring you your freedom. But I hope you will admit now that murder is a matter of opinion. Yes, Frank. Whether, Whether you, you like, like it, it or, or not, murder is a matter of opinion. Your loving brother, Brian. You have just heard Murder is a Matter of Opinion by Jules Archer. Attraction 39 on Radio City Playhouse. The story was adapted for radio by Harry W. Junkin, who also directed the production. Bill Lipton starred as Frank Jackson. Michael O'Day was Brian Jackson. Other players in the cast included Peter Hobbs, Sidney Smith, Scott Douglas, Elaine Rost, and Robert Andrus. The music was composed and conducted by Dr. Roy Shields. This is Harry Junkin again. Our sincere thanks to Bill Lipton and Michael O'Day for their splendid performances tonight. Next week, we hope you'll be with us again at this same time for another story on Radio City Playhouse. Next week, Attraction 40 on Radio City Playhouse. Good night, everybody. Bob Warren speaking. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company.